Midnight Facts for Insomniacs. <laughs> I just learned something. Oh, I'm having fun now. Was Moonlander paid by McDonald's? Nikki D's was not involved and did not pay for the in-game plug. The Easter egg seems to have been purely intended as a joke from a time when the idea of a McDonald's on the moon seemed silly and ridiculous as opposed to now when it just seems sad and inevitable. <laughs> this is our 90th episode. Holy shit! That's crazy. 90 episodes? That makes me tired. You had to edit all these. Yeah, boy, looking back, that feels like a lot of work. It was a lot of work. It was, Jesus. but God, there was so much fun in there, too. We're streamlining it. It's. I feel like it's less work than it ever has been, but it's mm. still a lot of work. Yeah, yeah. Still more work than it needs to be. But, but, 90th episode, Insomniacs, the world over. Please, please, please keep on listening after we finish the, you know, obvious official end of the episode. Keep listening because we have some announcements we want to make. We need your help for the 100th episode. That is only 10 weeks away. You can be involved. We need your input. Stay tuned. All right. So today we are talking Easter eggs. Not the kind that are hidden by rabbits, but the kind that are hidden by nerds. Huh. We are talking about the type of Easter egg that consists of special secret hidden content in media. Primarily movies and video games uh, that can be discovered by viewers and players and make you feel like a cool amateur detective when you find them uh, or make you feel like a loser who wasted a bunch of time and effort for zero actual payoff. <laughs> Most Easter eggs are just silly garbage, yeah. but they can be fun and uh, the history of them is kind of interesting. Okay. So if you have seen Ready Player One, you've heard the origin story of Easter eggs, the completely inaccurate origin story of Easter eggs. Oh, really? That's not, I took that as canon. Swing and a miss. Kind of a frustrating miss because that was a multi-million dollar film. They could have sprung for a fact checker. <laughs> and if they had one, fire them. The story from Ready Player One is that the first Easter egg was hidden in an Atari game from 1979 called Adventure. Mm-hmm. A video game with very ornate cover art featuring mazes and dragons and castles and very primitive gameplay featuring indecipherable chunks of pixels that supposedly represented mazes and dragons and castles. And dots. It was a lot of dots and squares. <laughs> yes. It was just, it was, should have been called pixels. It was just a <laughs> bunch of pixels. The game is bizarrely credited as the first graphical video game, which it's not. There were definitely graphical games before, and some of them were more advanced. To call adventure primitive would be an insult to all forms of primitiveness. Huh. Cave paintings were masterpieces compared to this scribble on a digital Etch-A-Sketch. <laughs> so the game designer was just like, eh, fuck it, I'm getting paid. <laughs> Have you seen Adventure? No, I mean, I've seen what they played on Ready Player One. I was not impressed. That's Yeah, that's it. Yeah. I mean, I remember playing the original Wolfenstein, and that was... Pretty oh, primitive. Sure, but that's light years ahead. Oh, I mean, yeah. that had identifiable blocks of color that was somewhat decipherable. Yeah, I mean, you could tell the difference between when you had a knife or a gun or your two-pass or five-pass and the, the other Nazi you were shooting. This was nothing like that. Mm. This was like Impressionist. It was created for Atari by a programmer named Warren Robinette. We mentioned on our video game episode that Atari did not like to reward or acknowledge their video game developers via an end credits title scroll that was not happening yet. Mm -hmm. Because if you roll credits at the end of the game, you're equating video games with movies and putting game developers on par with directors and artists, 
which could lead to individual game developers being poached by other companies and making enough money to survive, which we can't have that. <laughs> it's crazy talk. As you can imagine, developers not super thrilled about toiling in obscurity. Hmm. They wanted credit for their hard work and creativity. They wanted the world to know who was responsible for those flat, chunky pixel blips. I spent half a summer on those pixel blips, sir. Personally, I would have preferred obscurity. You can't prove anything. I didn't. There's no. You don't see a name. Nope. nope. Wasn't me. Mm-mm. But I saw you on Atari. Wasn't me. Wasn't me. me. <laughs> but for whatever reason, uh, Robinette wanted his name forever associated with underachievement. And he was a big fan of the hidden messages in Beatles records. Hmm. So unbeknownst to Atari, he created his own hidden message. Quote, the Easter egg is accessed by setting difficulty levels two or three and first retrieving the gray dot from the Black Castle catacombs. The player must bring the dot, along with two or more other objects, to the east end of the corridor below the Golden Castle. This causes the barrier on the right side of the screen to blink rapidly, and the player avatar is then able to push through the wall into a new room displaying the words, created by Warren Robinette, in text which continually changes color. Yay. What a wonderful reward. At least real Easter eggs usually contain chocolate. Yeah. This is just a random signature. Fuck, I'll take the semi-rotted boiled Easter egg at that point. Like, the, the one that's been dyed and clearly left in the grass too long and may have been peed on by the dog or the cat. Can you imagine if you went on a real Easter egg hunt and you opened up an Easter egg and there was just a, a note that had some dude's name? That's just confession. This is the motherfucker who stole my chocolate. <laughs> I'd be like, dude, I'm going to find you and beat you to death with this egg. <laughs> That's a cruel hoax. Some creeper was killed today by six unhappy five-year-olds. Somehow the game ended up selling over a million copies. Oof. As American teenagers had low expectations in 1980. Yeah. This was the era of pet rocks. Dude, this is the era of me being born. That was the low point. <laughs> Appreciate it. <laughs> the Easter egg remained hidden for a year until it was discovered by a 15-year-old kid with a lot of time on his hands and questionable taste in entertainment named Adam Clayton. Clayton promptly sent a letter to Atari informing them of what he had found. Like a bitch-ass snitch. I was gonna... <laughs> what the fuck are you? He's junior KGB? Atari assigned programmers to start digging through the code to find it, and the guy who eventually did quipped that if he were given the freedom to make a change, he would have rewritten the code to say, fixed by Brad Stewart. <laughs> I like that, but it wasn't. They, anyway, didn't, no. they didn't let him do it. The Easter egg was not fixed by Brad Stewart. Mm. In fact, it wasn't fixed at all. Atari's director of consumer software development, Steve Wright, savvily advocated for keeping the code. And to their credit, the company followed his advice. Wright actually coined the term Easter egg in an interview with the magazine Electronic Games. He mm. said, quote, from now on, we're going to plant little Easter eggs like that in the games. And they did, mostly. Huh. So the Easter egg in Adventure marked the origin story of the term Easter egg. And the beginning of the Easter egg tradition. It cemented Easter eggs as a video game staple. But it was not at all the first Easter egg in a video game. Really? It wasn't even the first time a developer had hidden his name in a game. Uh, that would be Video Whizball, a video game version of the Crossfire board game from the 70s. Do you remember Crossfire? Uh, is that the one with like the triggers and the shooting and the little spinny thing with the ball bearing? Yeah, it was actually kind of a version of air hockey, and you sat across from each other and, like, fired metal ball bearings at the other player's puck. It always struck me as intensely dangerous because you're shooting ball bearings at each other, which have a tendency to bounce off one another. It was the typical you'll-shoot-your-eye-out, like, death trap scenario. Nice. Okay. Yeah. I'm this for This was it. a pre-litigious America. 
which did not care about the eyeballs of the nation's children. Eyeballs, teeth, whatever. So in the 1978 video game version called Video Whizball, quote, after playing a match to completion, both sides must have their square be destroyed by either the other player or by a red square. I don't really understand how that works, but okay. Mm. While both squares are destroyed, the player must go back to the menu to start a new match. The settings for the match must be set to game 43 with a score of 67 in order to win. Once this is done, the game will load the field with the words read self at the center, referring to programmer Brad Reed Self. The name is also indestructible. Ah. Another fabulous reward. <laughs> Not at all a waste of time and energy to curse your screen with an indestructible name drop uh, of uh, someone you don't care about. Right, or know nothing about and as credited nowhere on anything, even the packaging. So you'd be like, Reed Self what? Is this a message from the Oracle? Like what... <laughs> the fuck is going on <laughs> i love that i'm giving the detailed instructions for these if, if yeah. anyone's out there playing video whiz ball let me know so while this was the first hidden digital signature in a game it still was not the first easter egg okay that honor goes to hidden content in a much earlier game 1973's Moonlander, in which a spaceship pilot is tasked with one very specific goal i'm not sure what it was probably should have looked that up you know might have had something to do, i think it had something to do with mars yeah Moonlander was created to show off the capabilities of the $11,000 DEC G40 Vector Graphics Terminal, a monitor and light pin combo designed to display crude two-dimensional graphics that could be manipulated on screen with the pin. Hmm. The game was whipped up by contractor Jack Burness in a mere 10 days. It's in one color, uh, green lines on a black monitor, and it still looks a million times better than that garbage-ass adventure game. <laughs> I feel like the bit is in your teeth. You're just not letting that go. I just hate that game. I just, I'm just i offended that anyone thought that was a game. It's a Rorschach test, and all I see in it is rage. <laughs> Word. I got you. Cool. Don't kill me. The goal was, of course, as advertised, to land on the moon. And if you played it a while, you might notice a strange object on the moon's surface. According to a linked article on criticalhit.com, quote, if you can perform a successful landing next to it, you'll see your little spaceman get out of his ship and slowly wander towards it, eventually stopping at the main structure. Wait, is it a McDonald's? It's a fucking McDonald's, unquote. It's a McDonald's sign? It's a McDonald's logo. Yes. Arches. Uh, but not only was that the first video game Easter egg, it was also the first product placement. W was Moonlander paid? By McDonald's? Nicky D's was not involved uh. and did not pay for the in-game plug. The Easter egg seems to have been purely intended as a joke from a time when the idea of a McDonald's on the moon seemed silly and ridiculous as opposed to now when it just seems sad and inevitable. <laughs> that, that shouldn't make me laugh that hard, but I'm actually picturing getting out of a future lander and stomping down on a McDonald's logo bag or whatever and just be like, yep, yep. I like that the criticalhit.com author was equally offended. Yeah. It's a fucking McDonald's. <laughs> Just a few more video game Easter eggs. Hmm. In the video game Red Faction Armageddon, Ooh. beating the game allows you to unlock the ultimate weapon, a pink unicorn named Mr. Toots who blows laser beam rainbows out of his ass. Yep, that sounds like Red Red Faction. I owned Red Faction 1 and 2 and loved them because they were the first games that actually let you destroy the environment for, like, strategic gain and just 
actually at all. You could just blow the hole in a, a wall right next to you with a rocket launcher and just keep on blowing holes in a it. A rocket launcher or a unicorn ass. Yeah, you had to unlock the unicorn ass, which I was never good enough to do. Okay. Yeah. This next one is kind of fun. In the incredibly cheesy and horribly dated first Resident Evil game, mm-hmm. I don't know if you've looked at it recently, but oh my god. It has it not aged well, but no. I remember it being terrifying. You got the shit scared out of you, as we've mentioned before, by the original Silent Hill. Yeah. So this was of that era. Of that era, but it was like one step up from, you know, Doom. It was ugly. Mm-hmm. After saving a character named Jill from a descending ceiling trap, soldier Barry Burton utters the cringeworthy and poorly translated line, quote, That was too close. You were almost a Jill sandwich. The moment became iconic, and in a subsequent zombie game called Dead Rising, which takes place in a mall, and which I have played, mm-hmm. uh, one of the eateries is named Jill's Sandwiches. That seems like a deep cut that you would have to be so lost in the game world to get that who cares? It was just for, like, super fans. Bragging rights to other people who care about bragging rights like that. Neckbeard bragging rights. Got it. Here's another unorthodox Easter egg, a tangible, real-world version of an Easter egg. Hmm. So, quote, if you inserted the PlayStation Castlevania disc into your CD player, you would hear a warning message from the protagonist, Alucard, urging you not to continue listening to the CD. After that, you could hear a sweet remixed version of the Castlevania tune, which at the time you totally thought was brainwashing you or something. Unquote. I don't know who wrote that. Where did I get that quote from? That's <laughs> <laughs> a weird way. Who thought they were being brainwashed? Anyway, the, yeah, that's kind of cool. I mean, yeah, as those things go, somebody went through the time and effort to program that in, so cool. Uh, hmm. Hmm. Very journalistic uh, writing style there. Yeah, very gonzo. This is the New York Times, for sure. God, no. No, it's not. Okay, good. I was going to say, ah, the descent of modern journalism. One of the most famous early PC video game Easter eggs was in 1994's Doom 2. Mm. During the final boss battle with the Icon of Sin... If you had previously entered the no-clip cheat code, I guess Icon of Sin was the monster. Yes, I remember playing that game, and I know what you're talking about. So, yeah, if you had entered the no-clip cheat code, you would find yourself battling the severed, bleeding head of one of Doom's creators, John Romero. Mm-hmm. I guess this was a little bit weird if you're a fan of the guy, because you're going to shoot him in the face. <laughs> On the other hand, if you hated the game, super cathartic. Yeah. Or if it's the you... only reason I kept playing was just to... <laughs> Shoot this fucker in the face for all those glitches. This is glitch revenge. Yeah, um, I I feel like that ratchets up one step at a time. Like, if you really love the game, you'd be like, why am I shooting this guy in the face? Second ratchet up would be like, ah, fuck this game. I'm really glad I shoot this guy in the face. The third ratchet up would be like, oh, I fucking love this game. He'd totally get why I'm shooting him in the face. I think that's what it was. Yeah. He he understood. He got it. He wasn't mad. Yeah. Shoot me. You a man. shoot me in the face. He's into that shit. <laughs> we don't kink shame. No. The problem with a shoot me in the face kink mm. uh, is pretty hard to prove that the guy was actually into that. Yeah. The aftermath is a bit, yeah. you know, legally squidgy. It's dubious. <laughs> yeah. You, get, you know, you gotta, he's got to sign something, but then, you know, you did have a gun while he was signing the thing, or there was a gun involved, and not a reasonable kink. It's hard to find people who are into the same kink as you. You're like, is anyone into being shot in the face? And you're like, uh, Jim was. And you just missed him. <laughs> <laughs> Lots of other people probably were. You're a little late. It's like once you develop that kink, mm. you know, you have a really short window to find other 
kinky face shooters. And also, no one's going to want to interact with you because they're going to shoot you in the face, but then you can't return the favor. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's not a very reciprocal kink. You have to find someone whose kink is shooting people in the face. Yeah. There's not a lot of them that are out on bail or whatever. Like Free range face shooters. <laughs> We've gone really far down this <laughs> hole. Holy crap, dude. Yeah. <laughs> you are tired. So regardless, you would blast him in the head a couple times and watch him roar with pain, and then you would win. It was a weird but on-brand for that series. Sure, totally. Next uh, Easter egg. The original Diablo video game featured a random herd of cows at one point. Yes. And this led to a persistent rumor that the game included a hidden cow level that you could access by petting uh, some of the specific cows. This I didn't run into, but I do know about the cow level, and that was a thing. And I think they brought it back in in Diablo 2, and you had to do, like, a certain thing with a malice. And, like, yeah, there was a whole thing. So, yes, it was not actually a thing in the first one. That was just a rumor. Right. It turns out that was actually a successful trolling effort, which <laughs> resulted in understandable frustration as players obsessively dragged their mouses over a bunch of presumably confused and annoyed digital cows. <laughs> there isn't actually a cow level in that game. But developers got wind of the rumor, and so they built a legit cow level into Diablo 2, as you mentioned. Yeah, and it's super fucking hard. I've never once beaten the cow level and gotten the the extraordinary benefits therein. Describe to us the cow level. Okay, so there's a severed leg, and then you put it on this like thing, and then this portal opens, mm-hmm. and you go in, and the cows are bipedal and are armed and are coming at you. Yes. And... You get your shit handed to you if you're not up to the challenge. They're very slow as, repeatedly. you know, they would be. Right. But there are a lot of them. Yes, there are a lot of them. And they're very OP in the sense that, sorry, overpowered for those of you who are boomers, not zoomers. and Or yeah. not complete dorks. I feel attack. <laughs> oh, you feel correct. <laughs> anyway, what I was trying to say is like, yeah, like if you get close enough to them for them to strike you, they hit you with a lot of damage. And, you know, there are a shit ton of them. There is a herd. And if you actually make it through all of them, supposedly you get some cool drops, um, you know, weapons, armor, things like that. But, yeah, I never made it through it once. Yeah, you had to beat the Cow King. Yeah. And I don't know how they were manipulating uh, axes with their hooves, but... That's what bothered you. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Maybe they stuffed it into the cleft between their hooves. They, the it, was a, it would be a very skinny axe handle I love that that's the hill you're dying on but i'm the dork got it the saddest easter eggs are the ones that no one ever finds and the worst easter eggs are the ones that no one has found but then are preemptively revealed by their creators in some kind of spoiler alert moment when they realize that pretty soon no one is going to care enough to keep looking yeah this sounds sad okay combine the worst with the saddest add in some shameless promotion and you get the Arkham City Easter egg in 2009's Batman game, Arkham Asylum. Oh, no. The developers wanted to promote the game's upcoming sequel, the aforementioned Arkham City, so they included an entire blueprint of its game map behind a wall in the Warden's secret room. Hmm. Quote, it's not located on any of the maps. You can't see the weak wall with Batman's detective vision, and you can only blow it up with several applications of explosive foam. So somebody would have to just be randomly applying explosive foam to random parts of random parts of this fucking asylum and just exploding it. If you were a video game terrorist, yeah. just going around destroying every building willy-nilly. 
Or attempting to, because apparently you couldn't actually blow it up. Yeah, you'd have to be the most persistent terrorist ever, because just nothing blows up, and you're like, well, trying the next one. Yep. Next. Next. <laughs> There's a lot of walls in that game. Woo! I have played it. Mm. An asylum. There are a lot of walls. They kind of pride themselves on walls. Asylums it's and prisons. Sort of synonymous. Yeah, it's kind of their thing. Uh, open air asylum, not the best idea. No, I feel like that's actually synonymous with a failed. <laughs> yeah. Joker just wander away. He'd escape by accident. <laughs> Imagine being the warden of that fucking place. Yeah. Wait, all right, I've got the Joker. Scarecrow, he was right here. You're, you're not the warden. You're a shepherd. Yeah. You're more, yeah. So no one was going to stumble across this Easter egg. It was not the most well thought out. Mm. And since a promo that no one ever sees doesn't make for a great promo, after six months of thirstily waiting for some kind of in-game suicide bomber to expose the blueprint by reducing the entire asylum to rubble, Rocksteady Studios bit the bullet and just straight up announced the Easter egg in a podcast. And everyone cheered with joy. No one gave a fuck. <laughs> And that's the problem with creating a promotional Easter egg is like the whole idea with an Easter egg is maybe people will find it. Maybe they won't. Some people are going to find it with a promotional whatever. You want all of them to see it. Right. So you're going against the whole spirit of Easter eggs. Yeah. The, the first mistake they made, the most obvious mistake they made was not making it visible to Batman's detective goggles. Like that's the first thing you make it visible to. Like, oh, you thought to equip these and look around. They also only waited six months. The other problem with the promo is that, like, there's a time limit on it. The whole idea for an Easter egg is that people are going to play that game for years or whatever, and then eventually someone's going to stumble on it, and it'll be like, cool, no one ever noticed this, and they'll spread it around, and then a few people will know about it or whatever, right. and it kind of picks up steam. But, like, you need people to find this Easter egg because otherwise it's going to be irrelevant. Right. Yeah. Easter eggs are the long con. Easter eggs are like, hey, we want a resurgence, this resurgence of this game in like 15 years. Or not even that. We just want to put something in here for the hardcore. We want to reward the hardcore gamers who really love this game. Right. Not we want to try to sell you something. And so if you don't find it, we're just going to tell you where it is. That is just <laughs> such bullshit. No, that's just lame. Some Easter eggs are more creative than others. Hmm. Also more sketchy and invasive. In the popular Konami game Metal Gear Solid, when the protagonist Solid Snake... Yep. Nope. You're not getting not anything from me because <laughs> I've heard all of the jokes. <laughs> when uh, Solid Snake meets the telepathic character known as Psycho Mantis, the developers got clever and honestly pretty creepy. Mm. The game actually scans your physical memory card, and if you've played any other Konami games, the Mantis will make comments such as, You like Castlevania, don't you? Yeah. It's a little creepy. Clever, but also, fuck you. Yeah, clever, but also, ew, you creepy hacker fuck. What else are you scanning? Yeah, seriously. Mm. You like bukkake porn, don't you? You should rethink your passwords. This starts with one, two, three. You're just like, what the fuck? What the fuck? That was a joke about Spaceballs, you asshole. Another Easter egg from the Metal Gear Solid series, this time Metal Gear 3. It's a little more harmlessly clever. There's a geriatric sniper named The End, and you have a couple options when you confront him. You can sneak up and murder him. Or you can just turn off the game and, like, chill for a while and restart the game, at which point the old man will have died of natural causes. I don't believe you. These are lies. That's a real <laughs> Easter egg. Really? Yeah. Okay, you've lied often enough that this is, <laughs> you are now reaching that critical mass fucking cry wolf moment where Why I... Why would I lie I, about I, that? Because... That's actually creative, and you're kind of creative occasionally on accident. <laughs> oh, thank you. Well, it is creative, and that's why I included it. <laughs> okay, so really, honestly, yeah. like you, you'll discover him, 
yeah. then you just like go back around a corner, turn off the game, wait 15 minutes, come back, and he's dead. Yeah, I like that one. That's cute. <laughs> That's kind of funny. It is kind of funny, although I got to say, just, you know, running up and killing an old sniper feels karmic. So let's switch over to movie Easter eggs. Ooh. We're going to spend less time on movie Easter eggs. Most of them are just references to other films or like inside jokes. There's not, you don't take any action to find these except just watching the movie a lot, going frame by frame or something. Right. I think the new thing is playing shit on like a quarter speed in HD so you can see all the little shit that Marvel leaves and like, you know, yeah. Doctor Strange's outhouse or whatever the hell it is I, these are for like super fans and there's also not that many that i find even very clever or interesting but i included a few that i do mm. and we'll start with one that bridges the gap between video games and film mm. any star wars buff will be aware of the iconic moment in the first movie 1977's a new hope titled that retroactively in which a clumsy stormtrooper in the background famously bonked his head on the top of a doorway <laughs> the Part of an entranceway, by the way, which I recently learned is appropriately called the head jam. Did you know that? He was just following directions at that <laughs> point. He was a good stormtrooper. It's spelled J-A-M-B, so I don't know if that was the reference. It's fitting. It works either way. Apropos, yeah. So stormtroopers can't aim, and they also apparently can't duck. <laughs> Fast forward 27 years, and the 2004 Star Wars video game Battlefront, one of my all-time favorite franchises, includes an homage to the film. Oh. In the background of a cutscene, you can watch one of the digital stormtroopers take a header directly into the bottom of a metal staircase. <laughs> we included that? That's awesome. One of the first examples of Easter eggs in film may have been unintentional and is often erroneously credited as the origin of the term Easter egg, which we already explained. Mm. But that's because it's the most literal of possible Easter eggs. The story goes that when the Rocky Horror Picture Show was being filmed way back in 1975, the cast staged an Easter egg hunt. And as often happens with Easter egg hunts, some of the eggs were never found. Yes. Now, the story of the Rocky Horror Easter egg hunt may or may not be true, but what is definitely true is that you can spot literal Easter eggs in the movie. Huh. Uh, one of them is under Frankenfurter's throne, another is near the elevator, and another is in place of a light in the ballroom. I've seen that movie entirely too many times as I was part of the cult that used to operate out of the, uh, the Berkeley University Theater. I wonder if we crossed paths, because that was actually before we knew each other that both you and I would attend those shows. Yeah. I only went because there was this girl I liked who would go there, and uh, I kind of appreciate it now. At the time, I really hated that movie a lot. Yeah, I didn't care much about the movie, but there was an opportunity to make out with or do various odd things during the show. And we both went because of horniness. <laughs> I mean, what were you really expecting from somebody between the ages of 14 and 16? Yeah, that was, was my primary motivation. I wish I had been more into it. It would have been fun to, like, let loose and, you know, do the time warp in the aisles and oh, all, yeah, all the stuff. I got up and did the things. I was into it in the sense of, like, yay, the more into it I am, the more happy she is and the more late I get. I was uh, in the audience uh, mocking you and hating you at that time because I really, I really hated everyone that was... And I was like the Grinch, and yeah. you guys were the Who's down in Whoville, and I was judging and hating everyone. And I just, you know, I was just, my heart was too small. <laughs> did it get you any more sex? <laughs> it did not. No. It did not? So. Oh, no, that totally failed, by the way. I never, we made out a couple times, but like, I, that was, that's not what I wanted. So, winning strategy all the way through. Yeah. I'm bitter because I'm there. I hate it while I'm there. I'm trying to get this girl, and I'm not. Yeah, win. being an unfun, <laughs> grinchy bastard, not winning strategy for, don't be a buzzkill. Yeah. yeah. Words of wisdom. 
Now, the idea that none of the camera people, crew members, gaffers, etc. noticed that there was an Easter egg on one of the light fixtures instead of a light, and no one in the crew caught this even when filming? Mm, 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 unlikely. Yeah. Uh, but either way, it makes for an interesting story, and it is something to look for next time you're in the mood for a gender-bending time warp. One of my favorite examples of an Easter egg that is really just a clever moment that most viewers don't catch. In the movie Back to the Future, the mall from which Marty McFly travels back in time is called Twin Pines. Mm -hmm. The first thing that happens when he travels back in time in the DeLorean mm -hmm. is that he immediately takes out a pine tree. Right. Do you remember that? He just like knocks one down and then goes into the barn. Mm -hmm. When he heads back to the future, uh, you might notice that the mall has been renamed Lone Pine Mall. Wow, I never did notice that. Okay. I had never noticed that either. That's, a, that's cute. It is cute. And I do remember them going through the pines and being like, oh, the fucking pines. I thought that was the Easter egg of them being like, oh, he's going through the pines. That's why there's... And then I never noticed like the sign when we got back that it was like, oh, okay. Yeah. One pine. Cute. Here's another one that I think you have to be pretty detail-oriented to notice. Uh, from Captain America, The Winter Soldier. Ooh. You're probably familiar with the character played in Marvel films by Samuel Jackson. Mm-hmm. Nick Fury. In the film, Nick Fury's gravestone features a short snippet of a Bible quote from Ezekiel 2517. Yep, this one I know about. Do you know what it reads? Yes, it does. It's from Pulp of Defiction. <laughs> the path of the righteous man. <laughs> it's beset on all sides. Might sound familiar. That is the Bible passage quoted by Samuel Jackson's hitman character Jules Winfield from Pulp Fiction right before he murders Brad. Before he murders the ever-living shit out of Brad. <laughs> In fact, it is the Bible passage that Jules claims he always quotes before a kill. Yep. Which, yeah, it's very dramatic, but also not very practical. No. I feel like most victims aren't going to just sit still while you orate. <laughs> just have to deliver my murder monologue. <laughs> Speaking of Tarantino, he collaborated with Robert Rodriguez on the film From Dusk Till Dawn. Yep. Tarantino wrote and Rodriguez directed. It's kind of off. I like the first half is creepy and the second half is just a weird ass slasher vampire film. Yeah. It, the second half is just a, a splatterhouse film. That's yeah, all it is. It goes to straight up grindhouse. Yeah. But viewers who were also Tarantino fans might have noticed a cameo by a restaurant. At one point, George Clooney picks up takeout from Big Kahuna Burger. Hmm. which is the same chain from which the aforementioned and soon-to-be-murdered Brad from Pulp Fiction obtained his burgers and tasty beverage. Really? Can I have a sip of your tasty beverage? beverage. <laughs> Big Kahuna Burger is kind of a super Easter egg. It actually made its first appearance in Tarantino's 1992 Reservoir Dogs and has since become a recurring Easter egg in the films of both directors. In addition to Reservoir Dogs, Pulp Fiction, and From Dusk Till Dawn, it also shows up in Four Rooms and Death Proof, as well as the Dusk Till Dawn television series. So Robert Rodriguez has continued the tradition. Huh. Did the Applejack's uh, cigarettes make a comeback, too? Because mm -hmm. those were all throughout Pulp Fiction, and I always wondered if they carried those on. I don't know. Huh. Uh, those might have been a real thing. So Big Kahuna Burger was created for the oh, show. Oh, okay. Next Easter egg. Yes. Indiana Jones was a collaboration between two cinematic superpowers. It was directed by Steven Spielberg from a story by George Lucas. And throughout their celebrated careers, the two have frequently referenced each other's films. Mm -hmm. One of the most famous cinematic Easter eggs of all time, among the ancient hieroglyphs in Indiana Jones, eagle-eyed viewers can spot both of these Star Wars droids, C-3PO and R2-D2. Yep. On the pillars where you find the Ark. 
Yeah. It yeah. On the pillars. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I've I've loved that, and I've actually done the hugely dorky thing where you play it back at like a quarter of a frame per second on HD and just find him and be like, Meh. More Lucas Spielberg crossovers. In Lucas's 1999 abomination, The Phantom Menace, in the Galactic Senate scene, three of the gathered alien representatives are ETs from Spielberg's ET, the extraterrestrial. That is true. I remember seeing that when I stood in line and got in there. You and I were there at CR. Oh, yeah. College of the Redwoods. We went. I, I still have my ticket stub somewhere. It's embarrassing. Yeah, it is embarrassing. But we did it. And I remember seeing them being like, is that? And then it was over. Mm-hmm. And then when it came out on fucking DVD, I watched it again. I was like, I fucking knew it. A much less well-known but equally clever cameo in Spielberg's Holocaust epic Schindler's List when the concentration camp prisoners are being loaded onto train cars. If you pause at just the right moment, you will find, huddled with the doomed prisoners, Jar Jar Binks. These are dirty lies. <laughs> that would be a travesty. That would be, holy shit. Yeah, I think it came out before the, yeah. the Phantom Menace, probably. Yeah, by a bit. I like that idea, though. <laughs> Missa don't want to go to the, to the gas chamber. <laughs> oh, God. Misa don't even like these people. Jeez. It's not a kosher. Oh, I wasn't. Now I feel bad for having. See? Yeah. See? See, See what I, you've wrought? See what I started? Reap the whirlwind, motherfucker. Oof. My bad. Mm-hmm. So Easter eggs can be fun little references and treats for super fans, but they can also be annoyingly meta and forced. Uh, personally, I think the Ready Player One should represent the death knell for Easter eggs because it is just a disgusting mishmash of not remotely clever references. Yeah, I mean, once they passed like six million references, I'm pretty sure they ate up their reference quota. This is like I rewatched it for this episode just because it's so notorious for being packed with supposed Easter eggs, mm-hmm. which are really just cameos of every possible pop culture figure that the studio could obtain the rights to feature. Yeah. Oh, look, it's a battle toad. That's not clever. That's just a, a battle toad right there on your screen. It's not hidden. Mm-hmm. It's just standing there. I don't even know what a battle toad is, but I know that they were in there. From a video game, it was a side-scroller. I played it a bunch of times. Not worth remembering. I did get occasional stabs of nostalgia at, like, the Iron Giant mm-hmm. or a quick glimpse of Marvin the Martian just randomly. But there was no reason for those characters to be there. No. And Samuel Hayden will come with me from the Discord on this. But, uh, you know, there were some 40K references that I was into and saw some some little tiny peeks at. But, yeah, there were, there they were... forced it. Yeah, there were a couple clever ones, and it showed that, like, you can do this in a clever way. One of the ones that I noticed, without looking it up, uh, on this last watch that I hadn't seen on the first one, when the Batmobile skids to a stop during a race, the sound of its wheels dragging on the metal rails of the, like, above-ground subway or whatever they're on, Mm -hmm. it's subtly auto-tuned to the melody of the 1960s Batman TV show theme song. Mm -hmm. It was like, and then it stops, and I was like, in my head, I heard it. So Easter eggs can be fun, but they can also be pointless and self-congratulatory, which is what that movie proved, I think. Yeah, I mean, to me, that movie summarizes itself in terms of Easter eggs as, oh, yeah, oh, look, oh, they put that in there, too. So that's all I've got. There are a ton of Easter eggs. There are so many in video and film and even TV shows and every type of media. But if we didn't discuss your favorite movie or video game Easter egg, just let us know. Just scroll down in the show notes and join our Discord where we will all be comparing notes and everyone will be yelling at me for all the great Easter eggs I missed. I'm sure I'm going to take a lot of heat. Oh, yeah. On you're, this one. you're catching no end of flack. And while we have your attention, we are coming up on our 100th episode. And what we would love from all of you is 
your ideas on what we should do for our 100th episode. Ideas like Duncan should get drunk and Shane should have to look after him for a whole episode. And that, you know, been done. Yeah. I mean, we've done that. If you listen back through our earliest episodes, you will hear that I'm audibly drunk. It was season one. Yeah. And a good chunk of what we're calling season five two. and two and yeah. three and well, most of them. There are there are episodes in every season where you're like, oh, he's hammered. So we're not doing that. But there are other things you can do. You can suggest to us that we may very well do in the hundredth episode. So please get in touch because you are the insomniacs. You are what's driving this boat. You are the reason we are here. And as usual. And forever after. Do you drive a boat or do you like pilot a boat? Uh, knowledge is power. Sleep is overrated. <laughs>